your need-to-know cultural snapshot of Wisconsin and beyond. This is What's on Tap with Sandy Max. A deep dive into all things intriguing, riveting, and entertaining. And now your host for the evening, here's Sandy Max. Good evening. How are you? Welcome to this brand new show. I'm excited about What's on Tap because it's a chance for you to hear and experience culture and creativity from Wisconsin and around the world. And tonight, bringing you stories about Wisconsin and Milwaukee history from thoroughly knowledgeable expert John Gerda. Welcome back to the Grand <laughs> Avenue Mall and our WTMJ studios here at Third Street Market Hall. Well, glad to be here, Sandy. It was a rather different incarnation from the last time I saw, saw it back in the uh, back in the day. <laughs> it has gone through some <laughs> evolution, <is. laughs> and I am going to hold up for our WTMJ.com, our YouTube stream. I'm very excited that you have a brand new book that mm-hmm. anyone can use to discover and rediscover Milwaukee. I'm holding it up. It is John Gerda's Milwaukee, a self-guided historical tour. Now, you've written over 20 books. What inspired you to write this brand new book? I've been doing tours for the last 50 years or so. Uh, everything from motor coaches to limousines to school buses to station wagons and thousands of people. I think the only the thing you're missing is like a bicycle or one of those rickshaw and those pedicabs. I missed, <laughs> missed the rickshaw, but I got the bicycles. <laughs> we check, check that one off. So I've been doing it for a very long time, and over the years I developed a route that I think is a, a good look at Milwaukee, kind of a cross-section of all the neighborhoods in Milwaukee. Uh, and I realized as I've gotten older that uh, all these things were just in my head. You know, so it was if, if I if I uh, got hit by a bus, all this stuff would be gone. Oh, <laughs> so, but I know what you mean. Yeah, it's like it's that we call it institutional knowledge. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a, a way of downloading stuff I've learned uh, and putting it in the public domain. And it's also, uh, again, as I've gotten older, kind of leaning and uh, holding up the pole at the front of the bus for four hours at a time and giving the bus driver directions and watching the landscape and being able to tell the stories, it's, it gets it gets a little little taxing after a time. So this is a way for people to, it's a DIY you know, kind of tour of Milwaukee. I would say it's very handy and it's very user-friendly. Very, very you much You even so. have it spiral bound, so that's even more handy. They can just... hold it open, so mm-hmm. see where they're going. Uh, full maps, a lot of pictures, uh, a lot of stories, and uh complete directions we we have this we, we we've drive tested it so <laughs> it works and how long would it take speaking of drive testing it and it is it's a robust what 86 pages yeah, 83 pages 83. uh probably three and a half to four hours uh, to do the whole to do the whole thing by uh, car okay 25 miles or so that's not stopping not stopping. Well, well, yeah, whereas the, if you become very curious about maybe the Triple I Shrine Building or something, you it would take a little longer if you stop and browse. There are built-in stops, you know, so you can kind of sit there and kind of read the stories. Uh, but you could probably do it in in three three and a half hours if you're if you're going with with some dispatch, and if you don't get lost, and and if you do get lost, <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. You kind of poke around to sort of reorient yourself and kind of make your own discoveries and kind of come back to the route. Oh, so that's how you discover. Absolutely. And, and it's even more special when you discover it. Hey, remember when we were following John's John Gerda's <laughs> map, but then we found this restaurant that was brand new to us, but may have been there forever. And... As long as they get home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said you've been doing this for over 50 years. So yeah. since 1972, how do you mark that year as the beginning of your history career? Uh, it was 72 is when uh, I graduated from college in 69, Boston College, and worked for three years at Journey House in the South Side. 72 is when I left there to begin work on neighborhood research. Uh, and I have not had a W-2 since then. Oh, 
So it's been largely writing, uh, largely uh, historical books, and working for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. I had a column there for a long time. Uh, but also, uh, Tours and Talks is kind of a uh, supplementary and kind of a, a bit of a second career. Uh, but 72 is kind of when I began to do this full time. When did you perceive that there was an appetite for people to learn more about where they live? It was pretty much by instinct on my part. Uh, and then I saw that people were uh, reading the things that I, that I was writing and asking me to write more. And that was it was kind of a revelation because it felt like kind of a, a, a cottage industry. But, you know, there was a resonance with people in Milwaukee who take their history seriously uh, and, and kind of love kind of the rootedness of the city. So I think the, the things I've done have been lucky uh, to have sort of fed an appetite. Uh, for all things, all things Milwaukee, and all things not just past, but the past in the present. And you are such a treasure and a wealth of knowledge. I'm so pleased and and grateful that you are going to spend an hour with us. So thank you very much for coming into the WTMJ studio. I am looking forward to this conversation because when we pick it up, I want to learn more about your personal history because. You're ingrained in Milwaukee, and you could have chosen to go, okay, I've learned enough about this. I'm going to go somewhere else. But for you to still be finding stories that are fascinating. So I want to learn about some some of your personal history with Milwaukee and dive even deeper. I found some highlights that I liked. I've oh, already cool. circled things in, in the John Gerda's Milwaukee, a self-guided historical tour book. So please stay with us. More with John Gerda next on What's on Tap. Welcome back. Very special guest, author and historian John Gerda. You've seen him on Milwaukee PBS in a wide range of well-researched and wonderfully delivered documentaries. And I say wonderfully delivered because, John, you share stories that, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, these are the facts. These mm-hmm. are the days and dates and the locations that you have to memorize. That's kind of the burden in school. But you really relate history in a very friendly, understandable, and conversational way that begets even more questions, like, oh, I want to know more. But that's, that's the power of history. Uh, you take the H.I. off its story when it, when it comes right down to it. And I think when I was uh, in high school especially, the history was taught as sort of this recitation of battlefields and generals and queens and kings and prime ministers and presidents and so on. It was pretty dead. Uh, it was that had no life to it. It sort of, sort of lay there. Uh, so it wasn't until I came back uh, to Milwaukee from Boston College and began to uh, do research for the Journey House that I was, when I was working at. And my neighbor is the South Side, and I began to sort of realize that the story of the South Side w- was my story, was Milwaukee's story, was America's story. So it's kind of coming out of the 60s. You no, know, that period was not just uh, ahistorical, it was anti-historical. You know, so trying to, uh, the, the counterculture, I mean, m- making something new. Throwing all, throwing the, the baby in the bathwater as far as you could possibly toss them, so kind of discovering, rediscovering history was uh, was a very powerful experience for me. Been doing it for all these years. And you've got family who've had family businesses. How far back does your Gerda family go in Milwaukee? Eighteen eighty-seven is when the first ones uh, came from my family, uh, Franciszek uh, and Apollonia, who were Frank and Pauline. <laughs> in, sure. In, in later years. Uh, came from north central Poland around a town called Bigosz, and he was uh, worked as a in a blast furnace for a time. So you know, Polish immigrants, you know, who were peasants in the old country and come here and take industrial jobs. Uh, so that was 
that's only you know, what's 150 years ago, something like that. So it's kind of uh, you know, my, my both of my grand my grandfathers on both sides, Norwegian on my mom's side, and Polish on my dad's. were both both came over as kids from Poland and Norway. Uh, so you know, America's pretty new. You know, you you travel around the world and you say, huh, this is a pretty young country. Uh, but so we've been here for for quite a while. What are some of your favorite memories growing up on that South Side neighborhood? The the anchor for us was my grandparents' hardware store on 32nd and Lincoln, and that opened back in 1915. Uh, there's a used used car lot there now, Bargain Town Autos <laughs> is there now. So the store is long gone, uh, but it was one of these wonderful uh, old stores with ceilings that seem to a, a young eye, young pair of eyes, you know, probably 20 feet tall. And one of those ladders you know, that was on rails that they had to use to get up to the the high high drawers and shelves. And oh yeah, dozens of drawers with these white porcelain knobs. Uh, my grandfather John Gerda was a, a hunter and fisherman, and uh, mounted trophies. There was a a, a musky that scared us, you know, <laughs> <laughs> this big mouth and all these teeth. Taxidermy will do that, you it, know. It, it will. So it was kind of uh, that was that was very the word iconic's overused, but that was a very powerful uh, anchor for uh, my childhood and my my brothers as well. Well, as you have written this brand new book, John Gerda's Milwaukee: A Self Guided Historical Tour. As I say, spiral bound and handy, you can carry it with you. There have to be landmarks. I mean, this is it's a wonderful book. I'm sort of like, well, I feel like I know a lot. What I get a little jaded and snotty. It's like, can I really learn anything? It's like, what is Pigsville? Like, no matter what, you open a page and you see something you don't know. So can you tell us about Pigsville? Sure. It's the area beneath the Wisconsin Avenue viaduct uh, between roughly 39th and the Menominee River. Uh, so between the freeway and Wisconsin Avenue, between 94 and the freeway, mm-hmm. 94 freeway and the and Wisconsin Avenue Bridge. And... It's not surprising that most people don't know much about it because it's... It's not a particularly flattering name. Not, not especially, <laughs> and not especially easy to get to. Uh, there are 11 streets down there and seven end in dead ends. So it's, unless you are you live there or you're lost, chances that you're going to Pigsville are pretty pretty slim. I, I think we'll probably... Or you up, have a purpose in Pigsville. We, we will up the traffic. <laughs> <laughs> just by talking about Pigsville. it? Just with the new book? But it's kind of it's a, a working class neighborhood. Uh, began as German, later became Slavic. Uh, a lot of Slovaks, especially down there, some Poles, some Russians, some Serbs, some Croats. Uh, but Slovaks are probably the single largest group. Uh, and it's the, the the name comes, and there are all kinds of theories. My favorite uh, was that sometimes you'd have floods upstream in the Menominee River, which goes right through the neighborhood, and pigs that were being raised on farms in Wauwatosa would be washed off. The, their fields and into the river. Swept away. Swept, swept away. And then when the river made a bend uh, beneath the viaduct there, the current was slow enough to allow them to kind of clamber up. <laughs> so, so, but where. It paints a picture. I kind of <laughs> like that name. The, another one was that uh, it's, a, it's a sharp curve for the, the, the freight trains. So sometimes bringing pork to market, these trains, trains would derail and the same thing. They kind of wander up into the neighborhood. Uh, but the the historical reason is that as the east side of the river was colonized as an urban neighborhood, the west side remained a farm owned by a family named Price, and they raised pigs. So very simple. I would say the simple answer, I'm sure, is usually the the right one. But but that's part of the fun is the colorfulness and the story and and, sure. and the lore while right. also having the facts. And it's been super fun to flip through your new book and see the photos that you have included. And one of my favorites is on page 46 where it says, uh, A motley crew of water enthusiasts. What is this swimming school that used to be on the Milwaukee River? 
there was a dam roughly near North Avenue across the Milwaukee River going way back to 1843 and different incarnations. But what it did was it was a very Jekyll and Hyde situation. Downstream from that dam, you had a mill race that powered Milwaukee's first industrial district long before there was Menominee Valley. Upstream, you had a long, narrow lake that went all the way to Capitol Drive, two miles long. And that became what I've called an in-town up north at a time when people worked six days a week and didn't have cars, obviously. They didn't have air conditioning. They worked in uh, hot factories doing heavy work, so they needed some, some release. So that river above the North Avenue Dam was just lined with canoe clubs, swimming schools, amusement parks, uh, beer gardens, and the swimming school, the Motley Crew there, uh, <laughs> was it was just above the North Avenue Dam, and on the West Bank, it was, it was Roan's uh, Swimming School. And what they would do, there were, there were three of them. It was Roan's, Beckstein's, and Whitaker's who were in the deep water, you know, right across from each other, uh, above the North Avenue Dam. And how they would teach, especially kids, to swim was they would have a kind of a, a sling that was attached to a long pole. They would put it under the kid's arms and sort of support it. Support the kid until he got his strokes down. <laughs> say, eins, zwei, eins, zwei, eins, zwei. All German. This is all German sure. back, back in the day. But that, that picture especially, uh, you wonder if there was some, maybe perhaps after hours activities going on. <laughs> they're a little, little, little on the rough side. They look a little rowdy. They, do, they look they rowdy. Do. You've got men in the back wearing bowler hats and, and all well dressed. And then every, it's a, the closer you get to the water, you've got people in bathing suits and standing and posing and right. muscle men. Right poses it's it's a really fun it, they're all black and white photos but it paints such a colorful picture sure, yeah. of the history of milwaukee which is what you do such a great job at if you've got a question for john gerda are one of my favorite authors and historians but truly i don't think there's anyone who knows more about milwaukee and wisconsin than you do and as you said this new book of yours is a legacy it's a way for you to get this knowledge out and make sure it is shared and preserved rather than just in your head when you're biking all around. More with John Goethe's Milwaukee, a self-guided historical tour. You're welcome to call up or text up on the Old National Bank Talk and Text Line, 855-616-1620. Old National Bank, get old. Uh, more stories, and I have uh, more questions for you, maybe about some nostalgic landmarks that you might miss. That's next on WTMJ. What's on tap with Sandy Max? And welcoming to the studio, John Goethe, author and historian specializing in the deep knowledge of your own hometown, Milwaukee and Wisconsin, and perfect stocking stuffer item for people maybe who are even brand new to Milwaukee. This is a great way to discover, and it's a really handy way to discover the history. You don't write 19 paragraphs about every single landmark. Right, it's right. very succinct and well-written, two sentences about Hey, this is why this is important, and you can get one of your other 20 books to learn even more. Uh, but it is called John Goethe's Milwaukee, a self-guided historical tour. Where can people get this stocking stuffer book? Published by the Milwaukee County Historical Society. Uh, they're, they're wonderful. They're 910 North King Drive, so mm -hmm. they're on, on Kilbourne and King Drive, the old 3rd Street. Uh, Historic Milwaukee, they have a, a great Milwaukee shop on Broadway in Michigan in the Grain Exchange Building, and Boswell Books up on the Downer Avenue shopping strip. So they're... There are three outlets for now. It may be more, but those are the those are the three that we have uh, selling them now. Just wonderful. And JohnGerda.com if you want to uh, get a handy link there as well. And are there any landmarks or buildings that surprise you that are still around? 
Milwaukee has a, a relatively high degree of preservation. Uh, you go to downtown Chicago, and a lot of that's been uh, erased and replaced multiple times. Uh, and that's, that certainly is a, a sign of a big city's dynamism. Uh, in Milwaukee's case, there's been you know, that kind of redevelopment as well. But you look at places like uh, Broadway in Michigan, where historic Milwaukee is, if you brought someone back who had been here in the 1880s, they'd say, oh, yeah, this is looks just, just like home. Because uh, you got the what's now the Hilton Garden Inn, which is now was the old Northwestern Mutual home office, Grain Exchange across the way. Uh, yeah, Mitchell building what a beautiful building, the Grain Exchange. And, and all those Cream City brick buildings up uh, up Broadway. So there there are a lot of, I guess that area especially is uh, kind of has surprising integrity. Uh, so there are people who would like to preserve that whole block in, in amber. Let's <laughs> you know, so say leave it alone. Preserve it with the flies and everything in it. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, I think just even. As simple as driving down Wisconsin Avenue, which your book covers much more. That's why there are the maps and take a left turn here and that sort of thing. But just even driving down Wisconsin Avenue is such a snapshot of history from here, Grand Avenue, where we were talking about Plankington Arcade. Right. Then you drive further and you pass the Pabst Mansion. And you've got the Eagles Ballroom, which was the million-dollar ballroom at one point. Right. And then in between your alma mater, Marquette University. Marquette, exactly. You've got Marquette. And I'm thinking of, I mentioned the Pabst Mansion, uh, the Grand Avenue Church that's now the Italian, not Italian, the Irish Cultural and Heritage Center. Right. Mm-hmm. That they're now preserving that historic landmark by having cultural activities and performances and weddings there. And the Triple I Shrines. Like, so just even driving 20 blocks west on Wisconsin Avenue from the lake, you experience different historical buildings from different times and i love that about cities not just milwaukee but all all larger cities uh, all those layers that you have from the very beginning to the, the very recent past things still under construction uh you you will not find you no know, that kind of uh layered diversity in smaller communities because cities are kind of where where the currents gather where the currents meet more heritage and history with john gerda on WTMJ, now from the WTMJ Breaking News Center, here's Jack Grau. I'm Sandy Max, thrilled and proud to have John Goethe, author and historian, in the studio with me. And we've just uh, tickled his earbuds. What is this song? That's uh, Suzanne, by written by uh, Leonard Cohen, but sung by Judy Collins. Uh, another iconic, you know, for, for a boomer. You know, certainly, it's, it's a beautiful song, just a gorgeous song. Wanted to make you feel welcome, so well, I'm glad we're playing music that sounds good. And uh, to end the show, we're going to play a Christmas song you had stuck in your head, is the song that you need to hear. So good. So, so and I want to ask you about Christmas traditions, too. But also, uh, first of all, I want to remind everyone, the reason that uh, I think it's important to have you as a guest is because you have such a wealth of knowledge of Milwaukee and Wisconsin, and not just knowledge, but a caring and a passion for it, and that you so easily share it. Like anybody would want to stand at a cocktail party with you and go, wait, but tell me more. <laughs> because you just, you bring history to life in your gentle, just so not, like you never make anybody feel like, oh no, I didn't know that. I'm so, I'm so sheepish about it. Like you're always like, oh no, let me, let me tell you about it. If you don't know, oh my gosh, wait till you hear about the bridges that are crooked downtown. You know, like it's always such a wonderful vibe that you have. So I love that now you have written even more than 20 books. You have a brand new book out. It is John Goethe's Milwaukee, a self-guided historical tour where you truly give people the power to be tangible, take a guided, easy tour, either of different neighborhoods or heck, 
Do the whole book at once in three and a half hours in your car, according to you. <laughs> well, that's very kind of you, Sandy. I appreciate it. I'm sorry. That really was a long-winded way of, of, of flat. I didn't give you a chance to talk, but but I just you're such a treasure, and I've enjoyed working with you at Milwaukee PBS and your documentaries that we get to air there, like Making of Milwaukee. Um, but the fact that you've got books that people can hold on to and read anytime and flip back and go, wait, what was that nugget? I want to learn more. So thank you very much for this. And uh, I think it's a perfect stocking stuffer. And on a day like today, one of the reasons I'm gushing about your depth of historical knowledge is it goes beyond just tour guides and maps. You know wonderful depth of the history of Milwaukee. For example, with President Biden in town today, I immediately went, how many other presidents have been here? Because isn't it lore that the Fister, every sitting president, has stayed overnight there? I think a couple missed, but just about everybody since McKinley. But that's a lot. <laughs> so, you so, know, so that, a that's lot. quite a tradition. <laughs> that's a whole lot of presidential suites. And then also in downtown Milwaukee, I immediately think of Teddy Roosevelt. Me too. Uh, and that's that's probably the the most uh, scary, in, in a lot of ways, presidential story. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt was out of office, running for president as a third-party candidate, the, the progressive ticket. And he was here in 1912 in October to give a speech at what is now the Miller High Life Theater, when then the, was the auditorium. And uh, a schizophrenic named John Schrank had been tracking him all around the United States, uh, trying to trying to shoot him. So mm. it was, uh, security was somewhat lighter in those days. So what happened was he's, he's leaving the uh, Gilpatrick Hotel uh, around where the Hyatt Regency is today, and at almost point-blank range, as Roosevelt was getting into his car, uh, Shrank pulled the trigger and put a bullet into Roosevelt's chest. He staggered, did not fall, and insisted on being delivered to the auditorium to give his speech. You know, so talk about macho. <laughs> and he walked onto the stage and someone his his introducer had said he'd been shot and people no no not not true he opened his coat to show this blood-soaked shirt and still seeping out so the gasps in the crowd you know let's talk about an introduction yeah and he gave an hour-long speech with a bullet in his chest and almost fell a couple times but insisted on, on going through and what had happened, they discovered soon after, was that the bullet it was a thirty-eight uh, caliber bullet, a lot of a lot of power to it. He had his speech was fifty pages folded over once in his vest pocket, and he had a metal glasses case and a thick overcoat. So the bullet went right there. You know, if he'd been a couple inches either side, yeah. you know, we would be you know, talking about the late uh, President Roosevelt here in Milwaukee. So that saved him uh, from uh, being a, a fatality uh, in Milwaukee. Uh, but he carried around that bullet under his fourth rib for the rest of his life. I never knew it wasn't removed. Wow. Yep. He was a sturdy, sturdy president. Yeah, the, the, the Rough Rider. I, yeah, I would say earned that nickname. And that's just it. I love these stories because it is history, but it isn't dry. Right. It isn't bland at all. And in your book... The new book, John Goethe's Milwaukee, A Self-Guided Tour, you get into some of the different cultures in the different neighborhoods and how it's evolved. And I feel like Bronzeville is someplace I should explore more. What are the other ethnic neighborhoods that like you can still see German or Irish or Polish really strong? Because I know they evolve. They, they certainly do. Uh, and I think the rule is that all neighborhoods are changing neighborhoods and always have been. 
But if you go through central Milwaukee, uh, you go through the heart of downtown and you pass through the, the third ward, which was heavily Irish at one time, is no longer. <laughs> now it's kind of sort of a little high, upscale. The people who lived there in the early years would be just amazed. You call that Condo Canyon? Condo Have you nicknamed that? <laughs> Condo Canyon. Yeah, looking, <laughs> looking downstream from the, the Water Street Bridge, you know, that really is kind of a, a, a canyon of, is, is not, not high rise, but, uh, it's not, not Chicago, but, uh, but still some pretty, pretty formidable buildings. But you have the north side, the German duplexes, you know, with their, they just fill the lot. And the whole point was to uh, build as much house as you possibly could. So the tenant upstairs pays the mortgage and you live in a nice quarters downstairs. Uh, you have the Polish flats on the south side. And one, one story that always got a response when I would be leading tours was my grandmother, uh, Mary Gerda, was raised on 14th Street, just south of Beecher. There's a photo of her in the book. There is, there is. I and, love that you weave your personal history in. And we put her on the cover as well. Kind of. Oh, in, 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 there in you go, frame. cover girl. Because <laughs> you were saying about your grandmother. But she was uh, in a family of, of six, uh, lost her dad when, when he was eight, died of tuberculosis. Uh, and that's why they had orphanages back in those days. You know, you have these families lose their breadwinner, and you were pretty much uh, bereft and without resources. What kept that family afloat was that they had five living units on one 30-foot lot, three in front and two in back, in the backyard cottage. And they live, of course, in the smallest one. Uh, they're trying to maximize their, their income. Uh, and she, she told stories about when she was growing up, there were, among the five households on that lot, there were 27 kids. So there were three baseball teams on, on that <laughs> lot. And people kind of say, what? You know, so, but that, that was, so, so that, that, that was by far the densest neighborhood in Milwaukee, the old 14th Ward on the south side. And she would walk a block, half a block to St. Hyacinth School, and there'd be a hundred kids sitting three to, three to a desk. <laughs> so oh. it, was, it was remarkable density. Wow. Yeah, you wouldn't tolerate that today, but, uh, you know, and she would say, you know, that that was, you knew who you were when you lived in that neighborhood. We're going to find out more surprises and interesting nuggets of Milwaukee history with author and historian John Goethe. Stay with us on WTMJ. I'm Sandy Max with the musically delighted John Goethe, author and historian. John, you chose this music. What song? What is that song, and what does it mean to you? Uh, the Dick and Dee Dee, uh, 1962, The Mountains High, The Valley So Deep, Can't Get Across to the Other Side. And that was, that was grade school, early high school for me. And it was maybe the first song that wasn't kind of uh, sort of the, the pop pap. You know, that was largely on the airwaves then? Yeah. There's something, even, even back then, I sensed there was something kind of transcendental about it. <laughs> and it, and it, it's still, uh, I, I still smile every time I hear it. I which, love it. Which, which is not that often. <laughs> but, aw, but it gives you joy, and that is, I'm glad to give you some musical joy since you give us such knowledgeable, historical joy. You've seen John Gerda on Milwaukee PBS on a variety of documentaries, and if you haven't already... John has over 20 books, and he has a brand new book out called John Goethe's Milwaukee, a self-guided historical tour, spiral-bound, easy to put in your car or in your back pocket, and take around the city. Have it handy. It's got maps, and it has landmarks, and it gives you in two or three sentences what the significance of a lot of buildings in Milwaukee have, like Villa Terrace, which is gorgeous, Mm -hmm. gorgeous. But when you think about 1924, what it took to build... A mansion like Villa Terrace with a lake view like that, plus the 
the leveled garden that goes all the way down to Lincoln Memorial Drive. Yeah, and raising a raft of kids there. No, that that was A.O. <gasps> Smith's son, Lloyd Raymond, whom they called Ray. Uh, and the the lot cascaded all the way down to the lakefront, so those kids played on, on the beach. And there are on the walkway there, there are, are sort of smooth pebbles that they found on the beach and, and brought back up. And those are kind of incorporated into the landscape. So. I'm so glad that building still exists. It's Me just too. beautiful. But what I also love in John Gerda's Milwaukee is that you also, you don't mind telling the gritty stories. Like, that's the gorgeous part of Milwaukee. But the gritty stories, like about where Collectivo Coffee is now on Lake <laughs> Lincoln Memorial Drive and what that cream city brick that we all know is a signature look here in Milwaukee, but what that building really was. Uh, it was the flushing station. <laughs> and, 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 and flushing is quite literal. Back in those days, the building's 1888, and back in those days, the Milwaukee River was an open sewer, and that is not a metaphor. Uh, you have the sewer system that did nothing but take human, animal, and industrial waste and siphon it, funnel it to the nearest river. So the river was just, it was it was a public health hazard. So what they did was, back in 1888, dug a tunnel underneath the east side, uh, right around the Lafayette Hill there, and put the biggest water pump in the world in the building that's now Collectivo, and used fresh lake water to flush the rotten river. So a, a very mechanical and rather primitive means of, of cleaning up the river. The problem was, even though the river got cleaner, you're pushing all that filth out into the harbor. Where does Milwaukee get its drinking water? You know, so you have the sewage plume go over the water intake uh, on occasion, and you'd have these outbreaks of uh, they called it intestinal flu. <laughs> it was you have typhoid, typhoid, which uh, you think of that as sort of a third world problem, but it was uh, right here in in Milwaukee, and not just here. That was kind of the state of the state of affairs in urban America. Anybody who used before groundwater. sanitation, yeah, yeah. So as I, as I've said, that was. If kind of a high-end coffee shop today in a, a building that was uh, erected to uh, move a little murkier liquid. <laughs> but they've also used that building to tell that story. It's a little museum. And keep yes, the history yes. alive. Yeah. And apparently that pump still works. So <laughs> I'm not sure how often they, they, they rev it up, but apparently it still works. <laughs> That'd be a fun thing to see. What is one of your favorite things in your new self-guided historical tour guide about Milwaukee. Without any question, my favorite building is St. Joseph's Basilica. Well, I'm so glad I asked. I thought for sure you were going to say, you can't ask that. You can't pick your favorite child. So St. Joseph's. Yep. And that's the story there. Uh, first of all, it's a, it's a glorious work of art and architecture. It's kind of a scaled-down version of St. Peter's in Rome. And I would take people in there on tours, and more than once, fairly often, people would say, no, Going to Europe's fine, but I don't need to, you know, because here you have a European cathedral right on Lincoln Avenue. Uh, so it, it's just a, a wonderful piece of, of art. Uh, but the story behind it is that you have, at the turn of the 20th century, maybe 12,000 members there. You know, it was a city. It was just a city in that parish. So the parish priest uh, had this building built to kind of house all those folks, and these are people like my my great grandparents, you know, who are working for a buck, buck and a quarter a day in factories, women taking in wash. So it was a colossal stretch for that parish to to build this Gorlars building, but, but but they did it almost bankrupt them, but 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 they did it. <laughs> and it actually qualifies as a basilica. Absolutely, with specific qualifications for that. That's very special. Yeah, it's like there are only two in Wisconsin. Holy Hill is the other one, yeah. uh, and I think maybe sixty, seventy in North America. So it's kind of a it's like being named to the All Star team.
<laughs> That's a great analogy. Well, it's getting to be Christmas time. I have loved this past hour. I'm not going to let you go yet. Uh, you have a Christmas song request that we will grant. But I also <laughs> want to ask you about maybe some very specific Milwaukee Christmas traditions. So that's next with John Gerda, author and historian on WTMJ. And now, feast your ears. This is the song you need to hear. Most blogs are going to be playing at 10. These go to 11. This is the Wexford Carol, which is among my favorite carols. It's been in my head all day long by an Irish group called Anuna. Uh, this is a solo version, uh, but it's it's from Wexford, which is south of Dublin, and it's, it has kind of a it has a quiet beauty uh, in this season uh, when you, there's so much bombast. And this is kind of a, a reminder to kind of slow down, you know, kind of listen carefully, and and enjoy the season peacefully. Good people all this Christmas time Consider well and bear in mind What our good God for us has done In sending His beloved Son With Mary This Christmas Day in Bethlehem upon that morn there was a blessed Messiah born near Bethlehem did shepherds keep
of John Goethe's favorite Christmas songs. Who is that, and what is that song? That was the Wexford by Anuna, which is one of my favorite groups. Irish music. Mm-hmm. Puts me in the mood to go to Ireland in May. <laughs> I'd like to ask you more about that, but I'm so glad you spent an hour with us. If you missed any of this conversation with John Goethe, Go back to our podcast. Go back to our YouTube stream at WTMJ.com. Enjoy John Goethe's knowledge, and you can enjoy it in his brand-new book, John Goethe's Milwaukee, A Self-Guided Historical Tour. Boswell Books, you can find it, Milwaukee County Historical Society, also Historic Milwaukee, Mm -hmm. JohnGoethe.com. Thank you, John. Merry Christmas. My pleasure.